HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. On behalf of our family of hosts, staff, and the millions of listeners who have tuned in since 2009, we want to wish you happy holidays and ask for your support as we launch our daily in-house news coverage. Please consider making us a part of your end-of-year giving in 2013. Your membership donation is tax-deductible and the best way to show you believe in our work and the importance of a free, food-focused media resource. Consider donating today at heritageradionetwork.org by clicking the Donate button. Thanks for your support and enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome to A Taste of the Past. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio. And today, as we make our some of our final preparations for the Christmas season, I thought it only fitting to talk about what we attribute all our fanciful meals to, or who we attribute them to, and where those traditions came from. And it's, it's really somewhat of, um, I think, a mystery to a lot of people that the way the Christmas dinners, as we know them, the special occasions with all the fanciful um, stuffed turkeys or or big joints of meat and the and all the puddings, if you're in England, the steaming puddings, <laughs> the Christmas puddings, really were something that were celebrated quite a long time ago, um, but then were banned or actually abolished for many years, and it wasn't until Charles Dickens wrote a tale remembering Christmases of his past and sort of reincarnated the Christmas dinner and the Christmas spirit, as he calls it, along with the help of Queen Victoria, I would imagine, um, bringing that into to play. Uh, and he really, after that, then this book, the, A Christmas Dinner, that he wrote is a sweet little story, um, and he wrote that in 1935. And it wasn't until um, some years later that he published... Uh, a Christmas Carol, which of course was the book that seemed to to um, clinch it all for people as far as the family Christmas celebrations. Somebody who has done quite a bit of research in this, and in fact has done research through all the ages of <laughs> recreating dinners and menus and recipes, and uh, and contributed to a book 
A Christmas Dinner, story by Charles Dickens, is culinary historian Alice Ross. Alice is um, a, has received her Ph.D. in food history, did her dissertation on food history at Stony Brook. Um, and for over 30 years, she has been dedicated to teaching people about recreating um, historic recipes and, in fact, has turned her home in Smithtown, New York, into a studio open with a, like a 19th and 19, I'll ask her to clarify that, a 19th century studio um, with a 10-foot open hearth and an open um, brick bake oven and for many years gave classes to, to people instructing them on open hearth cooking techniques and the recipes. I mean, she has done, she's done classes on everything from Greek, Roman, and beyond all the way up through the Middle Ages and on to um, modern early 19th century recipes as you know when people started making chicken salad i guess you could say so it is with great pleasure that i welcome alice to help bring us through the recipes and the menu that would have been a dickens christmas alice welcome thank you very much it's a pleasure to be here when alice and i said that um it's a your kitchen is a a replica of a 19th or not a replica it's a renovation and restoration of a 19th century kitchen is that correct it's really 18th century. 18th, oh, okay. Right. Oh, the house was built <laughs> in 17, uh, right? Pardon? When was the house was built in the 1700s? My home was built in the middle 1800s. Mm-hmm. My house is an old house. But the, the, uh, the garage out and back, which was a big two-car garage originally, has been converted into being a cooking studio. And that has, now has a brick floor and brick shell and uh, wooden shelves all around and has all kinds of antique usable cooking pots uh, and a big fireplace. Well, and some people have li- some people have likened it to a museum actually. It is. <laughs> it is a museum. But a working museum, correct? Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. right. And your son is is a talented blacksmith, I read, and he's made many of the tools that you um, that you use in your kitchen. That's true. Interesting. That's great. Well, bring us along a little bit about. I mean, I know that people celebrated well Christmas. Winter solstice had been has been celebrated forever, right? Um, in pagan times, but then by the fourth century, there were Christmas celebrations on this day. Um, and can you tell us a little bit about the background of Christmas celebrations? Well, I I don't think that they. Uh uh, well, let me let me start by saying that the earliest Christmas celebration had its roots in dru- druidic practices mm-hmm. because they w- it was celebrating the midwinter return of the lengthening day. Right. Its icons were the Yule log, the boar's head, holly, ivy, mistletoe, and feasting. By the Middle Ages, the boiled Christmas pudding and mince pies had put in their their appearance, and the celebration continued although more in the halls of the wealthy than the hovels of the poor, until Cromwell's 17th century revolt and the Puritans turning away from religious pageantry. The Anglican return brought with it some of the earlier festivities, but they were generally doomed under the weight of growing cities, manufacturing, changes in agricultural communities, and the strict class differences 
and they were fading out by the beginning of the 19th century. For many, Christmas meant a normal work day, perhaps observed by attending a church service, service but with very little home celebration. And this was no, true even in, Ameri- in, in early, um, early America. It was yes, just a regular work true. day, right? Mm. That's true. There was no special dinner. There were no gifts. There were no decorations. The earlier practices of presenting the boar's head, the mistletoe, the holly, and the ivy had declined and largely disappeared. However, (laughs) Queen Victoria, deeply in love with her German husband, Prince Albert, and desirous of pleasing him, instituted the German holiday of his childhood at the British court in the early 1840s. Well, and in fact, that's where the Christmas tree comes from, that's from right. German uh, celebrations, that's right? right? Yeah. That's right, along with the stockings, the decorations, gifts, and food, notably feasting, cookies, special puddings, cakes, and candies. Mm. At about the same time, Charles Dickens, remembering the gala events of his own early 19th century childhood, Christmas Day, at the home of his grandparents, undertook to restore the nature of the English 18th century holiday, a kind of a homecoming party and a gathering of the family fold. He published a short story called A Christmas Dinner in 1835 that was to become the basis for his Christmas carols dinner and the model for the traditional Christmas Day feast. Well, it was around this time, too, that Washington Irving um, wrote some stories uh, influenced by Dutch settlers too, melding the Saint Nicholas mm-hmm. uh, traditions and the English tradition of the of the past English traditions of celebrating um, into kind of a what what is now like a wintry celebration of nostalgia. Someone said, right? Right. Um, That's right. So between these two, it's interesting. Between these two popular writers, things came together. That's true. Hmm. Well, in I th- the White House first celebrated, I think I found some dates that um, the White House first had a Christmas tree and a, a Christmas celebration in 1923, and the first tree went up in Rockefeller Center in New York City in 1931. So it's, well, it's really <laughs> quite recent that, we, you know, that all these celebrations have taken place. It's true. Hmm. Um, well, tell me, you, in this book, um, it's a, a recent publication, I think 2008. Um, yes. Right. It's, it is the, a recent version of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Dinner, and um, it contains a foreword by Peter Aykroyd. So for those of you who um, are not aware, he's the foremost living biographer of Charles Dickens. Um, and the recipes and and the foreword and stories of the food and culinary practices are all by Alice Ross. Um, so, Alice, you you talk about both the Christmas Eve celebration and the Christmas Day celebration. So, Christmas Eve celebration. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, Christmas Eve was the time that. Uh, the servants and and the masters came together and celebrated. Um, there was absolutely no distinction in class at this time. So and, it really uh, was a, a time of good cheer, right? It really was. They had, uh, let's see, I have, I've made some notes. 
I know they drank a lot at the Christmas Eve celebration. Oh, they did. Sure. They had wassail punch. <laughs> this would be a typical dinner, a typical Christmas Eve celebration. They would have wassail, which you know about. Yes, it's good uh, health, good the wassail, good, right. and we sing to it, right? <laughs> right. Um, and it would have beer or ale and um, bread and, and spices and sometimes egg. And you would and you would uh, drink it from a, a wooden bowl, and people were not worrying about germs then, and so they would pass the bowl around, hmm. and and there were beautiful, beautifully carved bowls that the wealthy had, in gorgeous hard woods. And but well, I was people, I I was interested to see too in in your recipe for the wassail punch, um, in the book, it contains small baked apples as well. Right. That's right. Wonderful. Yeah. Hot. They would be hot roasted apples, and they would be put into the punch, and it would, uh, and they would sizzle as they fell in. Mm. <laughs> they were they were wonderful, but they would be little apples, like little lady apples. Mm-hmm. And um, then they would also have scalloped oysters and chicken pies. Chicken pie was a very fancy dish in those days carrots and their own juice, potatoes and turnips buttered and mashed together, bread and butter and mincemeat tarts. And mincemeat, you know, would have been made with venison. Yeah, right. probably. Right. Now, and it's it's interesting. It's something that I think um, Americans, I, I don't know, you, you would know to tell me, um, they shied away from adding the sugar and meat in pies and making true mincemeat with the, you know, the dried fruits and, and lots of sugar and uh, beef or venison and a lot of, and a lot of um, animal fat. What, right. how, why, why do you think this practice did not continue in modern cooking? Well, um, people were kind of uh, taken aback by having meat in their fruit pies. I think we became kind of um, finicky, hmm. and besides which, we didn't make our own mincemeat. We bought it in jars. Yeah. And of course, the wealthy would have ordered their pies from the bakery in England, right? So that's true. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. Sidney Mintz, um, in his book on sugar, made comment about the puddings and the mincemeats and um, the English's affinity for sweets, lots of sugar. Yes. Um, oh yes. So, and molasses too. Right, treacle, molasses. Um, right. right. Hmm. Interesting. And and maybe the more austere American diets just couldn't couldn't handle both. Right. It's either or, not both together. Well, Americans were English. Right. Well, and, and and they pretty much followed the English patterns, uh, if they were wealthy enough. But if they weren't wealthy enough, then they um, may do with what they had. Mm. And that's certainly, a mincemeat pie is certainly a pie of abundance. That's true. Well, uh, the evening, this is the Christmas Eve evening, that always ended ended with another drink. Interesting. And that would be, what would that be? Hot mold elderberry wine. Elderberry wine. Mm, Yes. And with spices in it again. Yes, can, yes. As it heats up, it fills the house with, with all the odors of what we, you know, relate to right. Christmas. 
Right, right. <laughs> well, then, of course, I mean, no one, no one can forget the image of the plays, the movies, the illustrations in the books of, of you know, Bob Cratchit's, fa- Cratchit's family finally sitting down when Scrooge brings over the goose and sitting down to a wonderful dinner. And we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk all about a Christmas dinner. Good. You're listening to Favorite Flower by Pamela Royal on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Today's program has been brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the world's largest distributor of heritage breed pork and turkeys. With the holidays approaching, we've introduced new gift ideas, including cuts from a variety of rare heritage breeds. What better gift to share than a meal that will be remembered forever? To order our gift packages or create custom gifts for friends and family, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. We are back on A Taste of the Past, and I've been speaking with Alice Ross. Alice Ross is a culinary historian and a food historian and um, a, I guess, a living history interpreter, if you will. Um, and you've just whetted my appetite with a Christmas Eve dinner, Alice. Let's, let's move on to what Dickens describes as his Christmas dinner menu. Now, before we do... I have to say a bit about him and his wife, Catherine Hogarth. I mean, both of them, both of them were really interested in food, from what I've read. And of course, he did a grand tour of Europe, or in parts, didn't really like the food of other parts. He loved his English food, but they they both were interested in food and cooking. Yes, they were, and they cooked together. Uh, they opened their home to friends and family often. Um, they both did marketing. Hmm. Uh, they had a splendid Christmas dinner and they they brought back the 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 tradition I would say Um, together they invented the the menus they fussed over the recipes and they cooked (laughs) Um, although Catherine did some or all of the cooking uh, she employed a cook in the kitchen staff from 1838 onwards who prepared the daily meals and assisted in numerous dinner parties. 
Well, I read, um, I, I think it was in your notes that you included in the book, that she actually, under a pseudonym, um, published a cookbook called... Yes, Lady, Lady Clutterbucks. <laughs> <laughs> what shall we have for dinner, it was called. Interesting. And you included one of the recipes in his in a facsimile of, of the Christmas dinner, right? Yes. The, what, cockaliki soup? Right, uh, right. Interesting. All right, so talk to me about the Christmas dinner. Well, the the menu, first of all, was punch, which would have been wine and um, sometimes brandy as well with uh, oranges and lemons sliced into it and a little sugar. Mm. Um, Cockaliki soup, which would have been chicken soup made with leeks. Um, They would have had cod. With oyster sauce. Now that sounds very elaborate in today's world, but oysters were really quite plentiful then, right? Yes, they were. I mean, you could go down to the Thames and pick them up. Mm-hmm. And in New York, but, they were on every street corner. So right, right. that's true. Um, they had lamb or mutton roasted with celery sauce. Hmm. They might have had turkey, which was common then. Even though we think of turkey as an American bird. It was brought over to Europe and uh, propagated there. And, and it uh, replaced the goose in many cases because they were easier to, uh, to breed and raise. And you could get a larger, a larger roast, right? A, a large true. turkey. Uh, the geese don't With really... With more meat. Right. That's right. You get much, much more meat from a turkey than you do from a goose. Even though we know Scrooge, bro- Scrooge brought a goose to the table. <laughs> well... <laughs> That was before turkey, I guess. <laughs> um, and that would have been stuffed with force meat, which is um, kind of like a, a sausage mixture. Um, they had roast beef with horseradish sauce. They had colcannon, which was a, a mixture of vegetables, cabbage and potatoes. Right. And now, ca- that we know from Irish um, cuisine, a colcannon. But this would be more um, like a form, uh, like a pudding form, or it would be molded in a in a form, something mm-hmm. like a, a melon mold, hmm. if you know what they are. Mm-hmm. So it'd be around, a, a, um, the vegetables would all be molded and molded in stripes, cooked. Nice, probably. Hmm. If it was if it was a, a fancy meal, mm-hmm. uh, scalloped potatoes, which would have been in a cream sauce. Baked beetroot, which would have been uh, possibly with vinegar and sugar. Stewed chestnuts, pickled mushrooms, rolls and butter. <laughs> and, okay. that, and then for dessert. <laughs> and then for dessert. I think I need an hour to digest. <laughs> uh, pardon? I said I would need an hour to digest, yes. <laughs> right, that's true. Well, there might have been... Um, a time between the the main meal and the dessert um, when the people would get up and walk around and maybe hear some music in the garden or or something mm-hmm. and then come back and the table in the meantime would have been cleared and then the desserts would have been put out and the um, they would have had orange and lemon jello that's which would have been now- made with calves foot 
gel. Yeah, that surprised me that they they liked a gelatin. Now, did they use that as a palate cleanser, or was it? Um, it certainly wasn't necessarily a sweet dessert. It 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 was a dessert, but it was uh, it was certainly a cleanser. Mm. But then the the remaining desserts were very rich, <laughs> mince pie or tarts, and Christmas pudding. We want to elaborate on the Christmas pudding, but go on, and then we'll go back to the Christmas pudding. And Christmas cake, which would have been any kind of cake that had draped uh, marzipan sheets over it. Hmm. Wonderful. Um, Christmas pudding would have been a mixture of um, breadcrumbs and apples and nuts and raisins and dried fruits uh, mixed um, with egg and wine, brandy, and, pour, and poured into a, a big sheet of muslin, which was then gathered up on all corners and tied around the top so that the, uh, very tight, so that heavy butcher's twine, so that the um, water would not get in. And then it would be suspended into a, a big cauldron of boiling water and boiled now, would for this, several hours. Would this, at that time, would this have been done on, they had the Victorian stove in kitchens, of course, at this time, but would this have been done in the open hearth, perhaps? It could have been, hmm. yes. Or it could have been done on a, on a wood range. And then, of course, it would be brought to the table. After it was, so after it was steamed um, and removed from the, from the muslin, what would go on then? Then it would be cooled mm-hmm. uh, before it was unwrapped so that it wouldn't fall apart. And then it would be um, served on a big platter, decorated with um, holly leaves. And then the coup de gras would be... hard <laughs> sauce. And it would, would it be brought to the table flaming, generally? Yes, it would, with, with hot brandy. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. I mean, the, the scenes you see of them, you know, the, them walking in with the flaming Christmas pudding and everyone cheers, like, you know. Right. Made it, right. That's Turn great. the lights out. They turned all, blew out all the candles <laughs> <laughs> and carried in this blazing pudding. <laughs> now, both of now you say you mentioned mincemeat pie, okay, and, the, and Christmas pudding, both of these containing... Um, dried currants and raisins, um, and, you know, maybe uh, plums. And apples. Yeah, okay. Well, a lot, but then there, these fruits did not come packaged the way we know them today. No. So no. you, you mentioned made your own mincemeat, and you mentioned and you often made it weeks in advance and let it age. Oh, even better. But you mentioned that um, because it appears in Dickens' story that the children were busy all day stoning plums. Stoning what? Stoning plums, plums. Mean, meaning raisins or meaning any dried raisins, yeah. right? So they would put the kids to work. You had to take the seeds out of all this fruit, all the dried That's fruit, true. right? That's true. Yeah, gives the kids a job to do. <laughs> right. Right. Um, and it's interesting. You included um, a little tidbit, sort of maybe where a lot of the the. Um, you know, we know that in a lot of European countries, one eats salad and cheese at the end of the meal. But Dickens yes. had a particular, he had a particular um, pleasure. And what was that? 
Well, he he had uh, salad and and cheese at the end of the meal. The cheese was kind of like a uh, what's the word? Like a fondue, like a an English rabbit, an English rabbit, or rabbit. Rabbit. That's right. the word. All right. So it would be toasted, what what they would call toasted cheese, but it was really um, now what we know of as, as English rabbit or rabbit, right? Right. And it could have been Stilton cheese or it could have been a good age cheddar. Hmm. So it was baked or toasted in in a wine or in a like a port? Yeah. Hmm. And then served with bits of toast. Right. Yeah. Well, he certainly ate well at Christmas. <laughs> well, he he did. <laughs> and he was the, probably middle class. Um, the upper middle class, I would say, and they could afford all these things. Mm. Well, the the puddings. Um, I want to go back to the, the like the Christmas pudding, particularly, and the the mincemeat. This was not, I mean, this was a traditional type of pudding. Even back in Markham Gervais's um, housewifery book, you know, from the the 1500s, he gives recipes for marrow puddings and, and, you know, at least not, if not meat in the pudding, some type of suet or or marrow, as I I said. So this is a practice that goes back quite a ways. Right. hmm, I think it must be an ancient dish. Yeah, I guess a sort of enforce. You're going to have one meal, get it all in one, one dish, right? Right. Hmm. Interesting. Well, Alice, you have have taught classes in all of this, as I said earlier at the top of the show, and um, you. Uh, what I also wanted to mention is that you are one of the co-founders of the Culinary Historians of New York. And right. that is an organization that is still alive and well today. And I, I thank you for helping found that. And, and I thank you for all your work. You have, you've brought so many, you've been a consultant to, um, oh, gee, to William, to, to the historic Williamsburg and so many different areas about the food of the past and, um, and I thank you for all your research and your work for this book and these recipes. Was there, was there someone in particular of that period that you relied heavily on? Um, a cook, you know that we know of today, a cookbook author. Well, um, I made some notes. <laughs> I can find them. Yes, here they are. Um, I actually used uh, Lady Maria Clutterbuck's What Shall We Have for Dinner? <laughs> going right to the source. <laughs> right, going right to the source, Charles Dickens' wife. Right, yeah. right. And uh, Dinner for Dickens, The Culinary History of Mrs. Charles Dickens' Menu Books, which was printed in Britain in 1988. Hmm. Eliza Acton, oh, yes. who wrote... You know her book? Yes. 1845. Mm-hmm. Kitchener, a lady, uh, a new, new, domestic, new London domestic cookery, adapted to the use of private families in London, 1838. Mrs. Beaton, you know Mrs. Beaton, course. I'm sure. Of course. <laughs> and Mrs. Dickens' recipe collection. 
Interesting. That, I mean, there's, these are all, and these, Eliza Acton certainly, and A Lady, The New London Cookery, these were all books of the period during that time that, That's right. that The Christmas Dinner was written. Um, That's right. What is what I like so much about the recipes that you included in this? It's a cute little book. When you, at the front, it looks like a children's book, um, almost. <laughs> but yeah, but it's but I mean, it really is packed with a lot of history. Yes, it contains Dickens' short little Christmas dinner story, but it really is packed with a lot of information about the food and and dining practice of the time. What I liked about your recipes that you um, adapted in this book you adapted them for the modern cook and right. i mean that is that's what's often so difficult when we um source some of these old cookery books is that the processes are difficult if not impossible to follow because you know we cook very differently today and you've made it very easy for someone to to try to recreate these recipes and i thank you thank you so much for doing all this research and um i'm so glad that i discovered this book and um me too and i and i and i encourage my listeners i i to, i want to share it with them again it's a christmas dinner a story by charles dickens and this is the 2008 version with recipes by alice ross and i wish you all a very merry christmas and a wonderful abundant christmas dinner and don't forget the christmas pudding Thank you, Alice. (laughs) Thank you very much. (laughs) And thank you for listening. Again, this has been A Taste of the Past, and I'm your host, Linda Palaccio. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website, or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>